Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network alongside the scout Matt Williamson. I am Brian Peacock. You can find Matt on Twitter at Williamson NFL. You can find me at BD Peacock. That's where some of these Twitter Thursday questions will come from today. We've got some uh, multiple questions about wide receivers. I think this is going to be a wide receiver centric Twitter Thursday, Matt, and some news to get into as well. By the way, you can find this podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. If you are home a lot more now these days, which you most likely are, you can also tell your home device, your Alexa, your Google Home, whatever device you have to play podcast, Locked On NFL, or any of the shows here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And actually a new addition to the network, Matt. I don't know if you saw this, Chad Ford, the NBA draft expert I think I don't know if you ever ran into him in the halls at ESPN ESPN insider he's been out of the draft game for a year he's back and he's got a show Chad Ford's draft board here on the network that's launching Monday yeah I heard about that and I I did not ever run into him but I think we were there at the same time he had a really good reputation I know nothing about NBA or their draft I would love to go see an (laughs) NBA combine though I've mentioned that like the verticals and the stuff that they do um, but interesting, great, another great addition to the Locked On Network, of course. Good stuff. Yeah, and now NBA draft is along with NFL draft, which is dominating right now, and it's really the only game in town as far as sports go is the NFL draft. So I, I can see why the NFL does not want to push off this draft because they all eyes are on the NFL right now, and it's at least something to talk about. And I'm glad we have something to talk about every day here on the program. Uh, some news and NFL teams continue to do business. Some minor moves starting to roll through. Matt, I don't know if it's the new CBA or the way things are right now in the world, but and maybe I'm completely off on this and just never paid attention. Is there more one-year contracts this offseason than ever before? I don't know. I mean, I think this is the time of free agency for one-year deals. You know, that the, the, the tidal wave goes through, and I made a joke. It seemed like everyone signed for three years, $30 million there for a while. You know, Eric Flowers and all these <laughs> yeah. guys that were yeah. starters but might not get to year three. Um, and now I think is the season for one-year deals. And maybe it's exacerbated a little bit because of the circumstances we're living in. I could certainly see that where if I'm a free agent, I'm going to give us another crack a year from now and I can better show myself off or if I have any questions or if I'm a team and I'm not quite as certain about this player as I want, let's assign to a one-year deal and revisit it a year from now. Some of those one-year deals, uh, some defensive linemen, some some big boys inside going off the board in the free agency market. Ian Rappaport reporting that Dominican Sue, one-year deal worth $8 million staying in Tampa. Uh, Don Terry Poe, one-year deal with the Cowboys, and Sheldon Day goes to the Colts from the 49ers. So the Colts snagged both of the starting defensive tackles from the 49ers Super Bowl. Day wasn't really a starter all season long, but he was a replacement starter for DJ Jones in the Super Bowl and is a rotational guy and a nice little piece there. Uh, So the Colts stealing what the 49ers had going up front. And uh, I don't know, any of those deals standing out to you? And Dominican Sue really fell off last year. So I'm actually kind of surprised he got $8 million Dollars, but he's still a pretty monstrous dude inside, and I think Don Terry Poe's number is a lot lower than even eight million. Yeah, let's just chat about all three real quick. I mean, you're f- more familiar with Day. He's a very couldn't be any more different body type than Buckner, but makes me think that they're going to do a lot of you know things that the Niners did up front in Indy, 
And he's more of a bowling ball. He can play the one, he can play the three, but he's a pure interior guy where Buckner could even line up outside. I, I Again, we were talking about it off the air. I liked him coming out of school. I think it's a quality pickup. Poe, to me, I mean, he, former first-round pick, and he was one of the few 300-plus-plus guys that played almost every snap with the Chiefs. I mean, they never took him off the field. And I think it wore him down a little bit, you know, that his career might not be all that dynamic the, the, the final few years. And I know he's a big-name guy. There's ability there. But he was also the nose tackle on one of the worst interior run defenses I've ever seen. You know, I mean, like Carolina got gashed over <laughs> and over last year. So I don't have high hopes for him. Where the Bucks were the opposite last year. I mean, they may have been the best run defense in the entire league when you put Vita Vea next to Sue and let those run and hit linebackers, David and uh, those type of dudes, you know, run and hit like crazy white. So it makes sense. I mean, Sue is not the, you know, defensive player of the year type of guy anymore. Sure, he can push the pocket, he still has some freakish ability. Um, but he clogs up the middle with Vea and fits that system really well. And speaking of the 49ers, there has been rumors that the Niners were in on Sue. Maybe they didn't want to go to that $8 million number, or Sue just wanted to stay where he was at and play with Tom Brady. But the 49ers were sniffing around at some of these veteran tackles, probably trying to get a discount for somebody that wanted to come play for you know a championship-caliber defense and find a little replacement there for DeForest Buckner inside. But instead, they just lost one of their other <laughs> defensive tackles. So yeah. still a big question about what the 49ers are going to do there inside. They still had a lot of depth, though. But um, that will be interesting, and it'll be fun to get into the 49ers as we get close to the draft and all the options they have. And, uh, man, the Bucks. I think it was really smart what the Bucks are doing, even if, you know, even if Sue's pretty washed up as a pass rusher. Bring back as much of that nasty defense as they could. They're really lining up well to draft maybe one of those offensive tackles if one of them makes it to pick 14 for them and and be ready to roll. I mean, uh, the Bucks are, are going to be scary, I think. Yeah, I think the Bucks are a really interesting team. I mean, I've been saying this for a while. Even without Brady, if they were just signed Andy Dalton even, you know I mean? Like, they would be an interesting team for me that I think could be, you know, one of seven playoffs teams this year. Now you throw Brady into the mix, you're bringing back a lot of your own. For the first time that I can remember, they kind of go into the draft without ridiculous needs, and a tackle would be perfect. Maybe you take a from or another second-round quarterback. I also think running back should absolutely be in the mix, but, you know, running backs aren't hard to find. I mean, what if they, you know, add DeAndre Swift to that offense? Or, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of thoughts, a lot of ways to look at that team with tackle, maybe quarterback, that might be next year's project, and running back at the top of the list, there's going to be guys available most likely. Absolutely. Second round is a nice sweet spot where the Bucks are for running back, and uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of scary what they're going to be able to line up and, and do there in the draft. Most likely, we'll see how it goes. You think you know what's going to go on the draft, and then you get thrown on your head. It's it, The draft is an amazing thing, which is, makes it even more fun to cover. A couple more quick signings here. Former Seahawks offensive tackle Jermaine Ifedi signing a one-year deal with the Bears, he's going to play guard instead of tackle in Chicago, which is probably the right move. And then Nikel Roby Coleman signing with the Eagles. Yeah, and I don't love a Fetty, but he's also one of these guys that if he'd have been a second or third round pick, you'd be like, oh, he's okay. But he's a first round pick, so he's a bust. You know, like that's unfair. And a lot of guys get that criticism, especially the late first round guys. Um, They needed a guard bad, you know, long retired. So. It's not ideal, but it's not horrible. I mean, I haven't been real in favor of what the the Bears have done this offseason. 
But boy, Roby Coleman, you know, we just broke down the Eagles. Was that yesterday or the day before that we did the East this week? He's a really good slot corner. So they might be done at corner. And you talk about draft needs. Yeah, it's kind of wide receiver. Sure, they could use a linebacker, you know, maybe like a William Gay Jr. or somebody like that in the second round. But you give them Henry Ruggs or Mims or, you know, whatever receiver fits, especially a speed guy, I think the Eagles are pretty darn good. And it sounds like the Eagles are going to let Ronald Darby go, and they found some other Mm -hmm. options there because Darby is still out there on the market. Uh, There are still some players out there on the market, so we'll continue to have news, I think, to talk about as – these deals trickle in a bunch of one-year contracts, and uh, we're in draft mode, though, Matt. And I do want to remind everybody to get, I mean, I'm amped for it. We've got the mock draft special coming up in April. It's going to debut April 10th. We're going to start running through that mock draft uh, very soon here. And it was it's awesome. An extravaganza, Oh, folks. yeah. It was I mean, awesome last year. In the last year, everyone on the Locked On NFL Network contributes, and it ends up being a massive and Really awesome endeavor. So yeah. we have not pumped that up enough, but stay tuned. It's awesome. And it was the biggest shows on the NFL side last year, and it's going to be even bigger and better this year. It's going to be fun. A whole week-long mock drafts, bringing in everybody involved with the network, the college guys, the pro guys, the draft guys that locked on NFL Draft and Draft Dudes in. So it's going to be a ton of fun. Can't wait for that in April. But now let's get to Twitter Thursday. We might need to even take a full segment, Matt, to talk about what's what's been going on on Twitter recently, and actually, the the network had me record a one minute argument for why Jerry Rice was the greatest wide receiver of all time, which I thought was pretty unnecessary because oh. I think the argument was for right. number two. But there's some argument out there about who the top five wide receivers are of all time. I'm going to ask you yours. I'm going to tease that. We'll talk about that one in the next segment. I want to hit some questions first, and I think actually maybe Stephon Diggs is the one that started it because he put a question out there on Twitter: who were the top five? And I think you can tell how old somebody is by what their top five looks like too, which I think is part of it. But we'll get into that uh, real quick. I want to go to Soli on Twitter, who had another question about wide receivers, younger receivers, the rookie class in 2020. He wants to know our thoughts on some of the comps for these rookie wide receivers in the draft. He says, do you guys agree with the comps from NFL.com? These are Lance Zerline comps, I assume, from NFL.com. We've got Jerry Judy, who he compared to Santonio Holmes, C.D. Lamb to Chad Johnson, Henry Ruggs to Ted Ginn, LaVisca Chenault to Sammy Watkins, and T. Higgins to A.J. Green. Do you have any thoughts on those comps, Matt? I do, and I like comps and I hate comps, and I'm bad at creating comps, but I feel like I can sit back and criticize others for doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I'm going to be a little critical if these are Lances, and Lance does awesome work, so... I like the Santonio Holmes, Jerry Judy one a lot. And um, I mean, I re- I recruited Santonio out of Glade Central. He drove all the way up the pit. And it's funny, I saw him this summer at Steeler Camp, sat down with him. I'm like, you remember the first college you ever visited? He's like, yeah, pit. I'm like, yeah, I showed you around. I, that was 20 years ago. But anyway, um, <laughs> we almost had Santonio and Larry for three years. Oh, my God. Story for off the air that I'm going to have to bring up okay. to you sometime. It's crazy. And he was a very talented player in that same mold. Um, To take it up a notch, though, the one I've heard for Judy is Odell. It's the feet, right? So that explosive ability in and out of his breaks, which I could see Odell. And actually, looking at these comps, I like Chad Johnson for Judy better. And I might even like Chad Johnson for Judy better than Odell for Judy because 
Chad Johnson had that route running ability and that mm-hmm. ability to get in and out of his breaks. I think height, weight, speed is close with Judy, but neither one are above the rim type players. And that's where the comp ends with Odell because Odell, while he's explosive off the line and in and out of his breaks and also had deep speed, Odell Beckham has that ability to go up and get the ball a little bit better than guys like Chad Johnson and uh, Jerry Judy do. So actually, I think my favorite comp for Judy is Chad Johnson, not C.D. Lamb. Yeah, it's funny. When I heard the Johnson one, I'm like, that fits Judy much more than C.D. Lamb. And I would say Santonio, Chad, Odell, Judy, they all fit that mold. And Diggs fits this. I mean, there's others that are both fluid and make it look easy but yet are explosive, yes. you, you know, in terms of there's still another gear and their body control is very fluid. There's no clunkiness to it. And those type of route runners are unbelievably nasty. And I forget who it was. It was an NFL defensive back that, that we interviewed like five years ago. And he was talking about Odell and said, you know, most, most receivers, you can kind of keep your eye on their bet, belt buckle and it's not going to lie to you. But Odell breaks the rules and it lies to you. You know, like his body doesn't move right. It's like <laughs> defending like water. You know, I mean, like it's just so fluid. And Chad Johnson fits that mold. Antonio, Judy. As for Lamb, I think you and I have said a lot of DeAndre Hopkins. You know, I yeah. think he's a little bit more, a little better after the catch. And I don't know anyone's a better contested catch guy than Hopkins. I don't see the Johnson comparison, though. I don't at all. And with CD Lamb, the only question I have about even the DeAndre Hopkins comparison is that Hopkins is what 15 pounds heavier coming out. So if you're going to be a catch point monster, Lamb is is a little bit slender for that role, even though he's so good and he trusts his hands and he's got the best ball skills in this class and he does have some nice feet. He's just not as explosive as someone like Chad Johnson. So the feet are there. Uh, the Lamb the Lamb comp is actually a little bit more difficult, and I think a lot of it when I'm seeing these is the way they stride, the way they run. Chad Johnson, the way he runs is much different. CeeDee Lamb's almost short-legged in the way yeah. he runs, which is what makes him good as a route runner, which is what makes him good in short areas and, and good after the catch, but it hinders him getting down the field. He doesn't have that sprinter stride. And looking at the Ruggs comp here with Ted Ginn, I see the stride being the problem I have here because Ted Ginn was just biomechanically couldn't run great routes because long-legged, and that's why he could flat-out fly. You know, So in a, it was almost like when you're playing Madden and if you just held down the trigger the whole time that's what Ted Ginn is he couldn't trundle down he couldn't break it down and get in and out of his breaks I don't think Ruggs has that problem and that's what I like about Ruggs as a prospect and why I'm not as worried about there might be a little bit more bust factor with him but I'm not worried about that because a he plays physical he'll run through an arm tackle after the catch he'll go up and get the ball at the catch point he's got hops he's got some big natural hands even though he's sort of short-armed and not the biggest receiver but he doesn't have that sprinter's thing where he can't break down and get in and out of his breaks, which is what makes me like Henry Ruggs a lot, and which is why I don't like the comp to Ted Ginn as much as I like the comp to, say, Tyreek Hill. Agreed. I think that's really well said. And like I mentioned with Santonio, I also took Ted Ginn around on his official visit way back when. He, he visited Pitt, he visited USC, and he visited Ohio State. And I know we were third on the list, but I remember at the end of the weekend, he sat down with our coach on that one-on-one, how you finish your official visit. And he's like, coach, you guys got a lot to offer here. It's close to home. He was a Glenville Tarblutter outside of Chicago, outside of Cleveland. And he's finally like, but I never saw the track. You know, I'm not sure if I'm going to play football this year or if I'm going to go to the Olympics as a hurdler. Can we see the track? And we're like, yeah, we don't have one. He's like, oh, well. 
Yeah, Pitt didn't have a track, and I don't think they still do. They used like a local high school one, just a city college. There's wow. no room for it. So Teddy was like, uh, well, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, I guess um, not a track school. Like, you know what? Let's not try to pretend we're a track school. Let's not even have a track period. Right, right. It's weird. But anyway, it doesn't make my, my, my former employers look so great. But anyway, he was the ninth pick in the draft. I mean, Teddy coming out of Ohio State was a scary dude that would also return punts. And he played some quarterback for the Glenville Tar Blooders as well. But you're right. I mean, he was a straight line hurdler, sprinter, not a breakdown guy. Like, go watch, go Google Henry Ruggs basketball highlights like Ted Ginn couldn't do those things flying through the air and changing direction and the big hands like you mentioned Ruggs is a more developed overall player LaVisca Chenault comped to Sammy Watkins I can see this because some run after the catch some explosiveness a pretty thick build I've seen comps to Debo Samuel for LaVisca Chenault my favorite though is a shorter and not as fast version of Cordero Patterson, which is not the greatest comp to have. I loved Cordero Patterson coming out, by the way, and I kind of learned from my mistake there, and that's why I do not have a high grade at all for LaVisca Chenault. And I also, with Chenault, I failed to see, everyone talks about his fantastic, freakish athleticism. I don't even see that. Good athlete, but I'm not even seeing this this great athleticism that people are talking about. He's good after the catch. He's thick, but he's almost as much of a running back as he is a wide receiver. The routes aren't really great. Uh, the, I just, I don't see it with LaVisca Chenault at all, and I probably wouldn't even touch him in the top 50. So I might be lower on him the most, which is why I think the Cordero Patterson comp plays better. And if you're a slower version of what Cordero was, then I'm out on that. I hear you saying, I mean, I think I like Chenault more than you. I also think that he, you know, was very relied upon didn't have much around him you know and it was everyone in the world was keying on him I think he's a powerful athlete a powerful mover with some explosion I agree with Cordero Patterson and I mean that as a compliment and a detriment you know you kind of said it from a negative fashion but again go YouTube Cordero Patterson Tennessee Volunteers Ooh. highlights it, it, yeah. wow I mean I, I think that's what you were talking about when you liked them coming out of school it's a wow situation explosive the way he could run he was a 6 2 220 pound kick returner and could flat out fly i expected more for him and he didn't really develop and that's sort of the difference can you develop can you win dirty can you run routes get open separate in the nfl it's one thing when you're a little bit bigger and stronger than everybody around you when you're when that, when that's not the case anymore it gets a little bit difficult can you learn the system run routes get open that's where i have questions with lavisca Chenault in the nfl but his run after catch is absolutely there yeah, and I don't know Cordero Patterson, and I always hesitate to call people out in this regard. But from what I understand, and I'll put it nicely, he needs a lot of reps to figure it out. Let's just leave it at that. You know, okay, I don't right. know if Chenault's a better learner. Almost has to be, from what I understand. Um, another guy, I mean, they, they did mention Sammy Watkins here. I know Watkins hasn't torn the league up, but in the best receiver class we've seen, the Bills traded up to get him, and nobody batted an eye. And also, I've had several people say, you want to talk about the best high school player they've ever seen, Sammy Watkins. So there's a lot of big, strong ability there, too. And was it fulfilled in the NFL? Not quite, but being compared to Sammy Watkins as a guy coming out of school is a compliment. Absolutely, yeah. The explosiveness, the top speed that Sammy had to go along with it. And uh, the last one on the list here, we got to go quickly and 
pretty much took all the segment doing this, but uh, this is fun, actually. I like these comps and this conversation. And a lot of time when you have a comp, you have to preface it, too. So this I've seen a lot, and I get it because of body type. T. Higgins being compared to A.J. Green. But as long as you preface it and say, A.J. Green, but, then I'm fine with it. Because obviously, you know, the height and weight are there, and I can see some of it and some of the ball skills. But A.J. Green, more explosive, could get open at every level. And the number one thing that separates A.J. Green and a lot of the greats from other players is A.J. Green was a dog, and I'm not sure if I see that with T. Higgins. So I, I think you have to pump the brakes when you start throwing out names like A.J. Green. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing with comparables. I always, use, I always make this joke. Well, what's this running back remind you of? Oh, Jim Brown. Oh, okay. You know, like, if you compare them to awesome <laughs> players, they're not going to live up to that 99% of the time. But I think if you look at it stylistically, Higgins is AJ Green, you know, Michelobot Ultra version or Miller Lite version of it. I mean, stylistically, they're similar. I think Higgins is probably a little more physical in terms of in breaking routes, breaking a tackle over the middle, breaking an arm tackle from a linebacker on a slant, things like that. You're right, though. I mean, I'm not, I'm not uh, counting out AJ Green's competitiveness or his the dog that you mentioned, but Green. Wins the foot race. I mean, he's a better route runner, is better body control, more fluid. You know, I mean, he's better at just about everything. I went back recently when A.J. Green was going to be a free agent before he got franchise tagged to see what player he was last time he was on the field. And obviously he had that uh, ankle injury and was out all of last year. But the last time he was on the field in 2018, he was still that guy. He wins on every level. He is so good, and I really hope he is healthy and is able to do something with uh, Joe Burrow this year in Cincinnati. Um, okay, we've got to get to some more questions, and we'll dip into that conversation about the top five greatest wide receivers of all time. A couple questions before we get to the top five goats. Uh, RJ wants to know if there's any team you expect to trade back out of the top ten. I mean, I don't know that there's a team that's in super no man's land where there isn't a position fit. Maybe Carolina. I mean, I think Carolina would love to get Simmons or Brown. And if neither one's there, they probably, you know, accumulate picks. But I bet one of them's there. So I don't have a great candidate for that. Yeah, I think seven, seven, eight, nine, ten. Those are the ones that would get out of the top ten. I think that... Most of the action earlier in the top 10, first of all, the cost is too much to go way up. So a team in the teens to get all the way into, you know, go up to three or four is just too expensive. So if there is some movement in the top 10, I, you know, it's most likely that five or six going up to three or four, something like that. So getting completely out of the top 10, it would probably be Carolina. I would put first, then maybe Jacksonville, although they already have an extra first round pick, but I could see a team trying to get up in front and get some of those wide receivers, maybe the Browns, but they have an extra third already. Uh, and these teams, we've mentioned how there's, for me, I have, and, and depending on what team and what draft board you're looking at, I think there's, and also depending on how many quarterbacks you count in this group I think there's around 16 17 mm -hmm. or like 16 blue chippers in this class so a lot of teams aren't going to want to move out of that group either or the cost would be more significant so but there are a lot yeah. of teams with a lot of extra picks that could move up Jags would come to mind I mean they kind of need everything and they have a lot of picks so they need more picks but I'm not sure who the ideal fit is for them you know maybe they would move back or move up or whatever yeah and what is but the spot that people are trying to get up to and who's trying to get up is another yeah. question. Yeah, it I takes two to tango. 
Go Pat says, gentlemen, if you're Belichick, do you stand Pat, pun intended, with Stidham as starting quarterback and Hoyer as the backup, or do you look to trade for Bruce uh, Brissett or another veteran? I think one aspect we haven't mentioned, well, there's two things, is I know a lot of people have Jordan Love mocked to the Patriots now, and I think Winston fits this mold too. We talked about that earlier in the week that I just think highly mistake-prone quarterbacks are not going to be Belichick favorites. I mean, if my defense is playing great and you throw a pick six and we lose 7-3, I'm going to kill you. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think that the Hoyers of the world are more up his alley. And I think there's a misconception about Andy Dalton, too. He's not really the game manager that people give him credit to be. I mean, I don't trust him with the football on third and eight late in the game on the road. You know what I mean? Um, I think that there is a love. I actually know this without divulging my sources that the Patriots and Belichick really do like Brissette. And there's more to that story that I can't mention on the air. And I think they would have interest. But we also know the basis of that organization at every position is finding value. And I just wrote something that I know Winston and Newton have warts and there's a lot of square peg round hole situations, but if they become values, if, if you can get them on the cheap or at 75 cents on the dollar, you got to be interested. Value is, is one thing. Bill Belichick tends to play the, the game of, I'm not messing around. I'm not playing the stock market. I'm just drafting guys. And if you want to, if you think you got it better somewhere else, go ahead. And I'm going to keep my guys in house. Mm -hmm. And uh, as far as the the question about quarterbacks, yeah, Brissett, Dalton, those are about the only two names I can actually see actually happening for the Pats. But it really sounds like they are going with Stidham, and they're going to see what they have, and and they they trust their their guys they have in house. So we'll see if that's actually the case. He also says I'm losing my muscles while distancing at home, but getting better at calisthenics and and stretching. So yeah, stretching is important. Yeah. I hope everybody's out there getting their stretches in. I need that. Good advice. There you go. Nice little piece of advice. Um, one name I always think about, though, with the Patriots, that I don't know how it could happen now unless they go off the board and draft a guy, is Raiders sending Carr to New England. I think I think hmm. he would like Carr. Right. But the Raiders, I mean, I like what they, they have. that now. You right. can't. That would be a next-year move, right? Once they've seen yeah. what's going on with their current quarterback situation, they've got to give – car enough rope that Mariota could actually take that job and you can't give it to Mariota unless they're trying to draft a quarterback. So maybe a dark horse team to draft a quarterback though. The Raiders. Hmm, I don't know. Interesting. I mean, Gruden could do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe he loves Jordan love and takes Judy with his first pick and trades a fortune up to go get love and then sends car to new England. Like crazier things have happened. Right. Or love falls to 19 and they're like, well, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Let's yeah, go. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, real quick here, a couple minutes. Do you have a top five wide receivers of all time? Is there anyone that you actually see that could be considered the GOAT over Jerry Rice? I want to throw a couple of numbers out here that I found when I was researching uh, some stats. And there's a ton of stats that you couldn't cover in the one-minute piece I had to record about Jerry Rice. But this is one of my favorites. Well, there's, two, there's a couple that are my favorites. One is that he set the then record for touchdowns in a season with 22 in 1987. That was the strike short, the lockout season. He did that in 12 games, 22 touchdowns. So people forget how high Jerry Rice's peak was and then how sustained it was. And if you mm -hmm. started watching football in the early 2000s, you saw 
Raiders Seahawks Jerry Rice, and then you saw Prime Megatron and Prime Randy Moss. I understand why you would try to have those players and Fitzgerald over Rice, but Prime Rice was amazing. In 95 at 33 years old, he had a then record 1,848 receiving yards. That was more than Moss ever had in a year in his career. Rice played another decade after that. But by the way, 33 years old is when Rice did that. Randy Moss was already washed up at 33. He had 28 catches when he was 33 years old and was pretty much done. The difference between Rice and Randy Moss between first and fourth all-time in career receiving yards is the same as the difference between Randy Moss at four and Vernon Davis, who ranks 115th. Wow, yeah. And maybe more than any position in the NFL, I think the the picking number one all-time is the easiest at wide receiver. You know, like we could fight about the best quarterback. We could even fight about Jim Brown versus Barry Sanders or Walter Payton or, you know, Lawrence Taylor versus, I mean, who? I mean, like at every position there, I think there's an argument. I think the argument's weakest for whoever you have at number two at, at receiver versus Rice for all the things we mentioned. How would you rank out two through five? See, I have some, num- I have some names here in front of me. And I'm certainly going to favor recent history. And obviously the all-time catch guys and, you know, accumulators are going to be way more based towards recency. But here's my short list is I have Rice at one. I have Moss at two. I have Julio at three. And I don't think he's discussed in that conversation nearly enough. And then I have three names for two spots. And I also just wanted to throw a little outlier in there that goes with Julio. Antonio Brown for five years and Julio for five years are the most productive receivers in the history of the league. I mean, I know AB's nuts. I'm not just talking Steelers. My Steeler people hate when I say he's the best Steeler receiver ever. I think it's clear. He's not in my top five, but his production is insane, as is Julio's. And I know today's NFL helps that. So I got Rice, Moss, Julio. Then I had then picked two of these three. Larry, T.O., Calvin. Ooh, that's tough. I would still have Julio on the outside, but that pace, the Julio pace and the Antonio Brown pace is interesting. And the, <laughs> I just saw an article actually about Antonio Brown. It was written in 2018 talking about his pace and how he could potentially catch Jerry Rice, and now he's not in the league. And it's amazing how quickly right. things can fall off for wide receivers, which is why Rice's career was so amazing when he was still starting games in his 40s. By the way, there's only two players that have ever caught a pass at the age of 40 or later, Jerry Rice and Brett Favre. Brett Favre had a, a pass oh, wow. batted back to himself that he caught. How about that? <laughs> I will say in this conversation, though, that I'm a little unimpressed. I mean, I know that the receivers probably best days are to come or we're hitting the prime of wide receiver time in NFL history. Obviously, the 50s and 60s didn't do them a lot of help. But you talk about the top 10 running backs. I mean, the eighth best running back is way better to me than the eighth best wide receiver. You know what I mean? Yeah, the sustained dominance, the scariness, and even guys like Calvin and, and Moss didn't quite and Moss was scary and there's a reason why there's a you know an adjective that is mossed you know like a term about him that he does to other players but that's why Calvin because Pete Calvin is scary Peak Moss is scary those would definitely be in my top five Julio's on his way to being there he's got to do it for a little bit longer Fitz has to be in there just because of the consistency and he had a really high peak 
as well. And that's the thing with the old guys. You think of, you remember how they are now. You forget how dominant they once were, which hurts Fitz in the argument. Hurts, I think, Jerry Rice sometimes in the argument, but helps Calvin and helps Randy Moss maybe because you remember the highlights. You remember the splash more than you remember the old guy that was still just collecting stats toward the very end of their career. So, and Tio, Tio definitely deserves to be in that that top five. So that's my top five. You, I, I, I won't fight you on any order between two and five and even six. If mm-hmm. you want to start c- counting uh, Julio and some other players in there, Marvin Harrison and Chris Carter. And there's some other guys that you start talking about there, but uh, that's the top five for me. And, and I'll fight you about number one. That's about it. Yeah. I mean, again, I got rice standing alone. I think Moss stands alone at a two. I have Julio at three. And then I'm taking two of these three in terms of Larry, T.O., Calvin, and I did just want to mention Marvin because he should be in the conversation, but I didn't include him with the Larry T.O. Calvin conversation because my thoughts were, if I'm a corner, would I rather line yeah. up against Marvin for 60 minutes or Calvin for 60 minutes? Right. Just it, think about that, yeah, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm I don't play Calvin Johnson. <laughs> All right. We're out of time. We'll keep going through the divisions tomorrow. Free agency review, talking about the latest news, talking NFL draft right here, Locked On NFL.